Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. The second inbounder to Hughes on the left side. Battle, they clear out. Clock frozen, now it goes. It's a six, it's at five. Battle, 15-footer. Yes, for the lead! 72-71, two and a half seconds to go. Tyus Battle drops one on G-Town. And that's what got a lot of people's weekend off to a good start. Fulfilling for many. Lots of news items to get into as we start another week of In the Booth. Welcome, everybody, to our ESPN Radio Studios. Show brought to you, as always, by CH Insurance. Good to have you here. Good to have Paulie alongside as we get set for another week of sports talk. Uninterrupted this week. Lots of different things to get into as we continue bowl prep. Not a basketball game until Saturday when Old Dominion comes in on a five-game winning streak as well. And the Orange have won five in a row because they pulled one out of the fire against Georgetown. Second year straight, they were down big. Last year, 13. This year, 15. And in both cases, Tyus Battle saved the day. Huge second half. Last year, had 29 points in D.C., a career-high six three-pointers. And in this one, he and Elijah Hughes in particular in the second half chipped away at Georgetown's lead and kind of think back on how silly it may have been to think of any other option of who might have had the ball at the end for the big shot. Of course, it was going to be Tyus Battle. He came through as he has so many times in his career. That's one of the things we'll get into over the course of this week. Tyus Battle, I think, and this sounds sacrilegious knowing uh, what Jerry McNamara did, Tyus Battle's right up there. If he's not one, he might be two as the best big shot maker in Syracuse basketball history. He makes more clutch shots when everybody in the gym knows he's getting the ball than anybody probably this side of Jerry. Uh, Jerry's are vivid in your mind. He you know hit the game-winning shot four days in a row. I know it doesn't really like that, but it seems that way at the Big East Tournament. Jerry had the huge first half on the big stage as a freshman at the uh, national championship game in New Orleans against Kansas. So we're not ready to uh, put him out to pasture just yet. He had his own game-winning shot against Georgetown. But uh, boy, Tyus Battle, time and again, has done it. Uh, freshman year against Clemson. Last year, Georgetown. Last year, Michigan State. This year, Georgetown. And obviously, there's several others that we could... Include in there. So uh, impressive stuff. Got to get Pearl on that list. Pearl, yeah. Pearl, was, when John you think Gillen. of Pearl, you think of um, more ball handling and setting people up and that type of thing. But he had a couple of huge shots too. Uh, certainly beat Georgetown in the Dome. The social media guys up uh, at the athletics department uh, today tweeted out a like a side-by-side. It was actually one above the other of the 1985 game. Pearl beating Patrick Ewing and Georgetown. And then in this case, that was actually six seconds to go when the ball went through the hoop. And this one was uh, Tyus Battle taking his shot with four seconds and change to go. And it uh, stopped the clock at uh, 2.5 seconds left. Similar deal. And uh, 
I think, for the fans. And we'll talk in due time here about rivalries and the renewal of the series or lack thereof. But uh, it means a little more that it was Georgetown than other opponents. And uh, that was a big deal and a big win for this team. To have lost that game, I think, would have been concerning. Georgetown is good, not great. Is Georgetown going to make the tournament? I don't know. And if you've lost that, now you lost to Connecticut, Georgetown in the same year. Uh, you still have only the one kind of major conference win against Oregon or against uh, Ohio State. I'm sorry. And uh, there are still opportunities. The biggest game in the remaining here in the non-conference season is this game against Buffalo coming up a week from tomorrow on uh, Tuesday night, the 18th. And uh, that one should be a blast. Uh, Buffalo has every right to be undefeated coming into that game. Buffalo's actually higher ranked. The Orange did return to the AP poll today, and uh, Buffalo's a few spots ahead. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can at 437-7644-ESPN44. We're going to have Dan Schulman of ESPN on the call. Dan uh, worked the game for uh, the Worldwide Leader on Saturday, so he had uh, front row seat, obviously, for the drama that that was. I don't want to put Dan on the spot. We're going to talk baseball. This is right up our alley, Polly. It's unfair. I, I if Dan Dan likely is a personal friend of Harold Baines, so I, I don't want to back Dan into a corner, but he's a big baseball guy. We may broach the subject with Dan. But now that Harold Baines is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, those doors are just wide open down there. I love Cooperstown. Try to get there every summer. Love everything about it. Love the golf. I love the food. I love walking around the hall. Do that probably every other year. I go in and out of the shops. I think it's time for Harold Beans to do the right thing. What, turn it down? Yeah, just get out of here. No, this isn't right. But Harold Beans is not a Hall of Famer. He was a very, very good player. He's in the Hall of Very Good. He was a tremendous run producer, excellent throwing arm, really good player, all star caliber player. In fact, when I first saw that news last night that he was in the hall, I thought his qualifications were actually better just then than I thought this morning after I did a little more homework on him. It's just not good enough. I, I'm going back thinking he had years and years and years of leading the league in RBIs. He never once led the league in RBIs. He led the league in slugging percentage one time. Uh, really good player. Want him on your team. Underrated player. Not a Hall of Famer. But now that he's in, it might open the door for others, and that's a fun discussion, too, for seam heads. Well, now that we've gotten into this. Well, the, I don't need to Shanghai the whole show right now, but. All right, I'll throw it What? what? Nothing. This whole process of this committee. Today's game era. Yeah, needs to have, you need they need to set criteria. Well, I just the wish list. they said what it is. Today's game era is. Like Fred- we got to put more people in because of the steroid era. We've got these blank spots. I mean, I'm not positive Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker are Hall of Famers. They went in last year. Yeah. Right? Not positive they are. I am positive that Harold Baines is in a Hall of Famer. He never finished in the top eight in MVP voting. And his best MVP voting years, he f- had four years in a row. And this is from ages 23 to 26, from 1982 it's 1985. He finished 20th, 10th, 13th, and 9th in the MVP voting. And from there on, he had a long career. He had five All-Stars from that point on, but was never in the running for MVP. And uh, just stop. I mean, he, 
think I read correctly, he never got more than 6% of the Hall of Fame vote. Yeah, that's got to be what, part what? of this today's game thing. Like, what? You, you have to be... You have to have, have been close. Yeah. Like, Fred McGriff doesn't make it. He needs to be in this today's game. Fred McGriff game has with. more than 100 more home runs in his career yeah. than Harold Baines. Will Clark should be on the, the list, too. Those are my yeah. two that should be... Yeah. Those are the types of players you review. And I have no problem with Lee Smith. Lee Smith retired the best yes. at his position. And he's still third best. Yeah. yeah. And he led the league in saves a lot of times yeah. and was imposing and was a brand name. You know, I just don't. Uh, he was at one point the greatest. Yes. Statistically. Yes. So I have no problem with it. And and his name is not being thrown around uh, in quite the same way. All right. We're going to review uh, Georgetown. Uh from the Dome on Saturday. We'll do it with Dan Schulman when we come back. I want to make sure we get to break so we can get to Dan on time. We can get into your questions and comments later in the show if you'd like to do that. 315-437-7644 ESPN 44. We'll talk uh, Syracuse hoops on the other side. In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth presented by CH Insurance in your corner. In the booth on a Monday. Good to have you along for the ride today. We rehash uh, Syracuse and Georgetown. Get set uh, the rest of the week, not only for the bowl game, but next basketball game, Old Dominion, comes to the Dome for a noon start on Saturday. Matt Park along with you. And our guest is Dan Schulman of ESPN. And Dan, uh, you know, I grew up in the area here, and you'd race home from church on a Sunday afternoon, and at 1 o'clock, CBS, and it was Brent Musburger, Billy Packer, Syracuse, Georgetown. And uh, I know you growing up in Toronto, you watched those games too. And it, uh, I hope it was a thrill for you and, and wondered what you felt being courtside there for Syracuse and Georgetown in the Dome. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun. And, and listen, um, you know, none of us, Matt, can turn back time and make it be, you know, Patrick Ewing, the player, and Pearl Washington again in those days. Uh, I mean, those days were as good as any days in college basketball in my lifetime. And, and I think the Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry back in those days, was every bit as good as Duke Carolina. It was that important. Uh, in some ways, maybe even better, because the Big East was you know, was so incredible uh, as a conference. But it was really, really fun. I enjoyed it. And, and you know, to have a Ewing coaching and to have a morning on the team and to have two Bayheims on the other side, like there were a lot of cool aspects to it. Uh, and obviously the second half lived up to it. And uh, it was a, a pretty terrific finish. Yeah, and it... You know, from a television perspective, I know all you're doing over there really is hoping for a close game and compelling theater, and you ended up getting that, but uh, there was probably a lot of time where you didn't think that was your day. No. Uh, (laughs) At halftime, when LaFonso and I were talking in the media room, uh, watching the end of the Indiana-Louisville game, we were kind of looking at each other saying, well, we're not getting this one right right (laughs) now, but you never know, And, and boy, it was like you know, a different team came out of the locker room. I mean, they were, uh, they were night and day from what they were in the first half. And, and, you know, you know better than I do because you do every game. They can be like that. You know, they can be great offensively and they can be awful offensively. And we saw both of it, uh, you know, both of those in the same game. I, I mean, to score 22 points in one half and 50 points in the other half is a, you know, is a huge disparity. But they just came out. They took better shots. They played with a lot more energy. Uh, and uh, as you said, I um, when you when you're doing a game for ESPN, or I would imagine you know Fox or or, or uh, CBS or anybody, you just want a good finish. You just want a close game, and we certainly got that. I certainly did. Dan Shulman of ESPN is our guest. Uh, the Orange knocking off Georgetown in dramatic fashion. Tyus Battle coming through again uh, with a 72-71 victory on Saturday. A couple of takeaways from that game, Dan. First of all, to 
underscore your point. Uh, the Orange shot one of 14 from three-point range in the first half, seven of 14 from three-point range in the second half, which makes a big difference. Uh, and it's funny, the, it looks so easy in the second half, and not everybody, you know, rare are the halves where you're going to shoot 60%, but it was made to look so easy that you're like, well, why isn't it like that at the start of the game, right? right. I know it's not that yeah. simple. No, it's not that simple. And I think, and this is just me, and again, you watch them more than I do, but I think 28 threes is too many for, for Syracuse in yeah. a game. Uh, and a couple of them, I remember carries from my left, so late second half down in the corner, he got a really friendly bounce, and I think there was another friendly bounce in the second half as well for Syracuse. But I'd like to see them go inside a little bit more. I mean, Brissett can score around the basket. Battle can score around the basket. Obviously, you know, when you got guys like Tuku and Sidibe and Dolishai, you know, those aren't big, bulky, back-to-the-basket, you know, throw the ball into me and let me post you up kind of guys. But, but the perimeter guys that Syracuse has, they can drive, and, and I think there's a lot of room. Uh, I thought, you know, when your three's not falling like it wasn't in the first half, um, I was kind of hoping, you know, that they'd try to drive a little bit more. And, and But not only in the second half, not only did they shoot better, they got out in transition better. They got down the court faster, so they got, you know, a couple of easy buckets here and there. And sometimes all it takes is one basket, whatever kind of basket it is, and it's like you take a lid off and, they, and you know, everything goes well after that. But they did shoot the ball well, battle made big shot after big shot. You know, and just as importantly, I think maybe not just as importantly, but it's way down the list probably of things that people talked about. But Chukwu was able to make a couple of buckets. I mean, he you know, he set a screen, he rolled, he finished strong, he didn't have the ball knocked out of his hands, and he only had maybe three field goals, I think, and a couple of free throws. But his buckets, it, it seems to me, came at big times. And I, I think he did just enough to help them win that game. His baskets were in the category, and I did say it on the air at one point, what's so hard about that? Now, right. when things aren't going well, Nobody honors him as a roller to the basket. He doesn't roll hard enough. Uh, he doesn't get easy shots, etc. When you get a couple baskets to go down, the floor opens up at all, then he still didn't do anything heroic. He caught the ball on drop-offs and laid it in because he's 7-2. Right. <laughs> Right. He he did he did the bare minimum of what a guy that size needs to do to contribute to the offensive end, but he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I I've watched a lot of their games uh, over the last couple of years, and, and, you know, again, as you know, I mean, he gets stripped, he gets bumped, he gets bodied, he gets knocked around, and, and that, you know, that's, he's, he's not a big, strong, he's a tall guy, but he's not a big, strong guy, but you're right, he did, he rolled, he caught the ball in a good spot, he kept the ball high, and he, and he put it up off the glass, and it, that's all, that's all that he really, uh, needs to do, because they're going to get the bulk of their offense from Battle and Brissett. You know, um, you know, for them to get where they need to get, Frank Howard's obviously got to get back to being the Frank Howard that he was last year. Um, and he was in foul trouble, and he wasn't a you know a big impact guy in this game. And and it was a good win for Syracuse, but it's by no means a win where I think Jim Jim Beheim walked out of the Carrier Dome and said, "Okay, we got it all figured out now." Like there's still a long way than that, and I think they can get there. They're clearly on paper a better team, should be a better team than they were last year, but they're they're not clicking on all cylinders yet. No, you're right about that. It's a theme we talk about here day in and day out. For the record, uh, Frank Howard, four points on two of five shooting, three of those behind the line. So the fact that he actually took two two-point field goals and made them in the same game has been newsworthy. He still hasn't gotten to the free throw line at all in five games because he's not really driving due to the injury, et cetera. Coach Beheim said he's uh, talked to him about driving more and maybe more concerning is he fouled out in 17 minutes of play so uh howard obviously has to 
to give more, and, and we'll see what uh, kind of pressure Jalen Carey puts on him, uh, et cetera, from that role. You know, this is a game, I thought, Dan, where we saw some of the wheels turning a little bit too, and people come out of the game saying, you know what, Pat Ewing, uh, he can coach a little bit. And I know his fans are probably questioning why was Mac McClung on the bench for as much as he was in the second half, but he still seemed to push the right buttons uh, at times in that game. And, and uh, you know, Georgetown shouldn't beat Syracuse on a on a regular basis uh, on paper, but uh, they almost did. Yeah, they almost did. And, and I think it would be disrespecting Patrick Ewing to assume that he can't coach or to not give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, although it, it, it was a little curious. It felt to me like Ewing had his defense unit out there in the second half. They had taken the lead, although Syracuse had come back and taken it, then Georgetown took it again. But not only was McClung out for a long time, Akinjo was out for a long time in the second half, too. And I remember, and it would have happened very close to where you were, because you and I are on opposite sides of the court, with about a minute left, all of a sudden Akinjo and McClung got up and, and went to the scores table, but then he brought them back. A whistle didn't happen, and by the time a whistle uh, did happen, the situation had changed. Um, but I, I think he had Mosley in there to try to slow things down a little bit, to, to play some defense uh, against Syracuse. But, you know, McClung, and that's the first time I've seen him in person. You know, we've all seen the YouTube highlights sure. and watched some games on tape and all that. But um, to say he's not shy is an understatement. <laughs> I mean, he was, uh, whether it's driving or shooting or just his emotion on the court, and I, and I was even more impressed with Akinjo. I, I, I think Akinjo's got a really bright future. You know, you put those two in LeBlanc out there uh, as freshmen and Pickett as a sophomore, um, they're getting there. They, you know, I, I don't know if they're ever going to be, you know, Big John's Hoyas from the 1980s again, but I think they're getting there. I, I think there's still some luster and some lore to playing for Georgetown for certain types of kids. Um, and I think Patrick Ewing, uh, you know, for kids who grew up in a certain area, or maybe their dad was a big Georgetown fan, or it's the academics of the institution that appeals to them, whatever the case may be, I think Georgetown still resonates with more kids maybe than we thought it did. Uh, and, and I think, you know, his recruiting is getting better. Now you gotta, now you got to do it on the court. you got to finish one, two, three in the Big East. you got to qualify for the NCAA tournament. you got to get out of the first weekend. you got to get back to that level to really get it rolling again. Right, uh, and Dan Shulman, our guest from uh, ESPN. I, I don't know that Jesse Govan, for as good as he's been and as accomplished, he's had great games against Syracuse uh, three times in a row now. He doesn't carry with him the intimidation factor, certainly that nobody ever is going to match up to Ewing in, in the modern time, but uh, even Morning and Matumbo and, and people like that. But you can see uh, Georgetown coming around. They'll have Omar Yurtseven, the uh, North Carolina State transfer, in that position next year. Uh, He's good. He's a really yeah. good player. He'll be a nice, uh, Syracuse recruited a nice him. next big guy for Georgetown. Yeah, he was a Syracuse recruit that uh, went to NC State late, and uh, the maybe we'll, well, I was going to say wind up seeing him, but uh, that's not likely because even if uh, Syracuse and Georgetown get a new contract and a new series together, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll kick in next year uh, right. or the next couple when year seven will be there. But uh, I think all parties are for uh, Syracuse and Georgetown playing again, so I'd imagine it won't be too long. A uh, quick spin around what else you've seen, Dan. I, I know you had uh, the games in the Garden just before coming to Syracuse, and so uh, Florida and uh, West Virginia, that game was kind of underwhelming. I know uh, we were feeling for you there when it was uh, scoreless <laughs> both ways for, for quite a while. Who, who else have you seen this year? I know you've handled Duke. Yeah. What what's the cream of the crop from your vantage point? Well, I've seen I, I had Gonzaga's win over Duke out in Maui, um, so got a chance to see the Zags. Then watched on TV uh, Gonzaga just getting knocked off by Tennessee. 
had Tennessee and Kansas in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and I think there are some really, really good teams this year. I mean, if everybody plays their best uh, on the same day, probably Duke wins. But I, I don't know that you know a team that starts four freshmen is going to play its best on as consistent a level as some of the older teams are. Uh, like a Gonzaga, like a Tennessee, like a Nevada, who I haven't seen in person, but they're terrific as well. I'll tell you this, and I would have said this even had we talked before Tennessee beating Gonzaga. Tennessee might be the toughest team that I've seen in college basketball in years and years and years. He can coach. And, and I mean, I mean physically tough and mentally tough. They are absolutely unbelievable. They've all got, you know, they all look like seniors, even if they're not. They've all got great bodies, and I mean. You knock them down, they get back up twice as angry. It's really impressive what Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes has done with the group, and, and, and I think they're terrific. Their talent level, to me, is slightly below a Gonzaga or a Duke or a couple of other teams, but I think they can compete with anybody. But, you know, when Duke came out of the gates and was, you know, blew out Kentucky, I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was a 10 out of 10 on the Richter scale <laughs> in the college basketball world, and they're great. Uh, but if if they miss shots, if you can get them in a half court game, if 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 they can be, as we've seen, and I think this has a chance to be uh, a tremendous college basketball season where we're looking at an at an elite eight and saying any one of these teams can win the title. Yeah, exciting stuff ahead. Uh, certainly, Rick Barnes is as a great coach. He's been successful everywhere he's been, and, and Syracuse yeah. fans remember him way back as the Providence head coach, but uh, in his various stops since has had success. And all right, Dan, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot. We didn't bring you on to talk baseball. Uh, <laughs> for, for all I know, you and Harold uh, Baines are personal friends. I'm sure he's a tremendous human being, but uh, I'm just going to put it this way. Now that Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame, I have to think the doors have opened wider to consider some other folks. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering who you think those might be. And, and my suggestion was the uh, former Syracuse chief, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Yeah, I, I think if Harold Baines gets in, Fred McGriff gets in. Um, I, I'm, you know, the Hall of Fame, I don't want to say it's been devalued, but the steroid era changed things, and now we have different panels voting on people, and that's great. But, but to me, the Hall of Fame should be the, just the very, very best who ever played. Like, like, you should be able to, oh, yeah, that guy's a Hall of Famer. There should be no doubt. And I think Harold Baines was a a really, really good player, like a really good player. But I don't think of him as a Hall of Famer. And I've heard people now say, well, now Lou Whitaker should get in, and now Dwight Evans should get in. And, again, these are really good players. But in my mind, you know, rightly or wrongly, they don't scream Hall of Fame to me. Fred McGriff, to me, is closer, in in my mind, to being a Hall of Famer than these other guys. And and I feel badly for Freddie, and I knew him a little bit because of his Toronto connections at the beginning of his career. Uh, I feel badly for him because had he hit seven more home runs, he'd have gotten in. 500 would have gotten him in. Back when he first got on the ballot, 500 was in. And and Fred McGriff played his way through the steroid era, and I think we all believe with 100% certainty, as much as we can believe anything, he played clean through that era, uh, and I think he deserves to get in, and, and I hope at some point uh, that he does get in. I think he will. I don't know if I don't know how and when. You know, it, it could happen a couple of different ways, but uh, I think this. I think Carol Baines getting in opens up the door for a number of different people, to get in, and I think Fred McGriff's on that list. Well, read before you came on, Harold Baines. Uh, I think he had four top twenties in the MVP, never above eight. Fred McGriff was fourth once, fifth once, sixth once, and had a handful of other uh, top tens and top twenties. So he, he was, yeah. in the, you know, in terms of the best player in the game, MVP of the league, uh, he was considered, uh, you know, among the top. Uh, certainly more often than Baines, he surpassed him at home runs and on RBIs and 
And uh, this is not a show meant to bash Harold Baines, but uh, if, if no. and he was a really good player, a great throwing arm, and a very good run producer, but uh, not a guy that passes that uh, immediate test. But you, my friend Dan, are a Hall of Fame broadcaster. You pass that test immediately, and we appreciate your time today. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thanks very much, and I uh, hope to see you later on in the season, Matt. Sounds good. Dan Shulman right. of uh, ESPN, awesome dude, and uh, did a great job on the game Saturday with uh, another friend of the program, LaFonso Ellis. Uh, yeah, Crime Dog had to wake up this morning thinking, I mean, maybe the first thought is, what? Really? They still didn't call? The same reaction everybody in America had? Yeah, but, then, but then maybe the second reaction was, okay, well, look, if this guy's in, then, then it's just a matter of time. The What they call the Today's Game Era, or it's a stupid name for a committee anyway, but whatever, whatever that is, my understanding is they basically have these committees now that say, look, Steroids. There was a lot of people that were great players that were not voting in. We got to put somebody in. How how can we reexamine this? And uh, that's what's led to uh, the insertion of a couple of these folks uh, here in recent years. And uh, this time around, it is Lee Smith and uh, Harold Baines that will be going into Cooperstown with uh, the regular crew. I'm looking at who they voted on, and the list yeah. is all people that sh- maybe Steinbrenner, but. Lee Smith is the only person on this list that I look at and say, that guy's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, but you also wouldn't lose any sleep if he wasn't in, right? <laughs> right, right Lee, yeah. Lee Smith. Will Clark I like. Yeah. Or Horschheiser was, eh. Eh. He was very good. He was very good, but not a Hall of Famer. Lou yeah. Pinella? Meh. Hall of Fame. What do you, yeah, what do you Rant. Put not a fan of this. Okay, well, if you could, uh, you want to chime in, who do you want to put in the Hall of Fame? Who do you want to take out? That's kind of mean, isn't it? Tony Perez. Tony Perez, you're taking out? Doesn't really add that much. Ozzie Wilhelm. Ozzy Smith, for love of the game alone, for that backflip, taking the field alone. Ozzy Smith was pop culture superstar. There you go. Loved him. You're wearing his early uh, 80s Padres cap there. All right, uh, back with your calls if you'd like at 315-437-7644. 3154-ESPN44. Do we care is next on a Monday from In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance, in your corner. Back in the booth on a Monday on ESPN Radio. Do we care coming up in just a moment, but a couple of callers on the line, and at least one person who knows how to get right into that first parking spot, since both callers are apparently Stephen North Syracuse. So, Will the real Stephen North Syracuse please stand up? No. Ste- uh, first, Matt, uh, I, I can't claim to be uh, the, the legendary. You caller, were posing. But, uh, you, okay. Well, yep. Hey, Matt, you, you were talking to the Georgetown play-by-play guy before the game. Yeah. Uh, and he does it all by himself. I did not realize that. And you, you being in the position you're in, how difficult would doing something like that be? Not having somebody to give you a break, even if it's for. A couple seconds with coach offering commentary is that that's got to be very difficult. I just want to get your thoughts on that. No, I appreciate it. Uh, it's not that difficult, and it's it's certainly not uh, digging ditches by any stretch of the imagination. But Rich Shavatkin is the longtime voice of Georgetown basketball. They have an unusual broadcast a little bit. They they're in a major city. They don't have much of a pregame show because of the station they've been. On. So they literally have a, maybe five minutes. Come on the air, quick interview with the coach, away we go, and they're off on the the broadcast. And Rich has done, he said he's worked solo since like 86, which is just uh, incredible. He is a 
uh, psychiatrist, I want to say, uh, by trade, and has done the games from a, a, an early time. We went to Coach Thompson. But, you know, this is how it was done back in the day, and said, hey, I, I want to do the games. Nobody else was putting them on the air, and he has done it ever since. And you'd think, well, do they have one guy, one former player, or even John Thompson that could sit there and work with him? It's just never been a part of what they've done. Just like Vin Scully for so many years worked alone, and there's uh, some flexibility and some charm in that. Um, to be honest, I don't mean to belittle it because what he's done is a, a great accomplishment Devontae, and over the long haul. Here he goes. Got it! With 3.4 seconds to go! Hoy has got to get a stop. Eli Carter race up the side of the floor. Carter pull up jumper. No basket. Hoyes win. 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 All right, we get the point, Rich. Why would you want an analyst to get in the way of that? But that's Rich's thing. He kind of measures the. He has a couple of other idiosyncrasies. He has the single worst handwriting known to man. He uh, was. He's got uh, a doctor's hand. I, I had a picture of that on uh, on Twitter the other day. Single worst handwriting in captivity. He wears the same tie until Georgetown loses, and then retires that one and moves another tie in. And his thing with the Hoyas wins. The really big ones, he might get eight or ten Hoyas wins in there. But uh, he's a tremendous uh, human being, and uh, his family's uh, part of what he does there at the home games. But uh, back to your question, Steve. Uh, you know, working solo, something I've done a ton of because of my background in baseball. And that's baseball's got to be way harder to do alone uh, than absolutely. But you also could kind of rely a little bit on the the downtime, and it's just a different different kind of pace. Basket uh, th- calling the plays and whatever that's not it's not taxing. It's not difficult. Uh, an analyst and Coach Sadlin adds so much. I mean, you you'd love to have them if if you can. Um, but even at the highest level, the NBA level, a lot of the radio guys work alone because the shot clock is shorter and they don't want to pay for a second person. And, and it's just harder for an analyst to kind of get in in the NBA flow of it. So uh, uh, working hard is not uh, not especially – or working alone is not especially taxing. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to do it uh, day after day. I'm happy to have uh, the partners that, that we have. But uh, appreciate the question, and it's a good chance to uh, recognize Rich Shabatkin, who's a one of a kind. I always wondered, like – Lucas Favalli, Dan Duva, how they don't lose their voice at some point during the season. I get why they don't have a color guy because there's so much action in hockey. You're not really going to have a second. Well, to let's it. face it. You, it really comes down to the logistics. Do you want another person in your seat on the bus? And do you want another person in your hotel room? And do yeah. you, that's just the way it is. And uh, and some of these cramped press boxes and whatever. But minor league baseball, minor league hockey, major league baseball, NBA. NHL in some cases. Vince Scully did yeah, it by guys, himself for years. Uh, will work will work by themselves. But uh, yeah, with you know those guys, the uh, hockey you might have four games in a week or three, and that is that becomes a bit more uh, challenging for sure. But Pete's uh, having a real job. All right, uh, Stephen North Syracuse, the real Stephen North Syracuse. What if it's another one that's not either of that'd the be mind blowing. Well, I, I, there I, I, is. I think that we're both real. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, and and it's uh, it's not against the law to have more than one Steve in, in our Syracuse. I was also interested to find out that there's somebody with worse handwriting than I have. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I, first thing I wanted to clarify something that came up in the previous show. I'd uh, asked their opinion about uh, whether you front the inbounds man on a uh, play with a few seconds left, and I. 
uh, pointed out both in the Syracuse-Georgetown game and in the Seton Hall-Kentucky game that came up, and we didn't front the guy, and they got off a shot that almost went in. And uh, uh, Seton Hall did front the guy, but they also got a pass to midcourt, and, and Kentucky got a shot that they made, so it can work both ways. But the, the two gentlemen in the previous show thought I was talking about Syracuse's last possession, and they started to analyze what you do with 10 seconds left. Uh, uh, but I, I was strictly talking about when it was 2.5 seconds left, should we have fronted the inbound map. Anyway, uh, you, you talked about Harold Baines. Uh, I always thought that Harold Baines, Eddie Murray, and Hank Aaron were different magnitudes of the same player. Uh, the t- big thing with all three of them was consistency. Uh, Hank Aaron would hit 320 with 40 home runs every year. Uh, Murray would hit 300 with 30 home runs every year. Baines would hit 290 with 20 home runs every year. Aaron never hit 50 home runs, but wound up at the top of the list till Bonds passed him. And uh, Murray never hit more than 33 home runs, but hit over 500. If you compare his numbers to McGriff's, McGriff's just as good. It was just those seven home runs that have kept him out. And then Baines uh, uh, hit, never hit 30 home runs, but wound up hitting uh, 384. So he almost got to 400. And I would agree that Baines would be in the Hall of Fame for, for the very good uh, rather than the uh, the Hall of Fame for the great, and his uh, entrance in it will uh, create a lot of those comparisons. If this guy's in, why shouldn't these other guys get in? Uh, 100%, and that's a great analysis, uh, Steve, with uh, really kind of branding those players. And there's no shame in being Harold Baines, hitting 290 with 30-odd home runs and about you know between 95 and 105 RBIs and throwing out ten people on the bases from right field. Harold Baines was was a great player. Uh, you know, really was a very good player. Is he a Hall of Famer? He just doesn't pass the test for me. Now, if we're making a a second class, or hey, the real greats go over to this wing, and then the next tier goes over here, and he was a great guy, and we're rounding up for all these reasons. Great, you know, but that uh, to me. And this is Paulie and I joke about it all the time because this is the era where we could throw out the names and we collected the baseball cards and and were uh, really into it. Um, Harold Baines is a is a name brand an all star uh, caliber player, just not quite enough. And and I think you're right. He sort of sets the floor now uh, for the Hall of Fame. And so I think if I'm Fred McGriff waking up this morning, I'm feeling pretty good about uh, someday getting that call. Harold Baines had over 100 RBIs just twice. And th- this and if you would asked me that yesterday, yeah, I, I would have said, said six, six yeah, or eight times. Just twice. Fred McGriff, eight times over yeah. 100 RBIs. Yeah. It's crazy. But Fred McGriff led the league in home runs twice, too. So. Yes. Back when the, when leading league home runs was 36 and 35. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's, uh, as Dan Shulman said, I think we all have uh, a, a pretty high degree of certainty that Fred McGriff was not a juicer. And Howard Baines was not a juicer, but... Ten times over 30 home runs for Fred. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> right. Um, but you got to, you know, they played in this era where, or just either just prior to the area where, where people then blew those numbers uh, out uh, with the PEDs and everything. So, Steve, we appreciate uh, the call. Good insight there. And um, no, I don't want to take anything away from Harold Baines. I just... Uh, 
I don't want to be raining. I feel bad to leave that I'm raining on his parade. It's just he doesn't resonate as a Hall of Famer for me. That would have been a Chris Berman name. Harold Rains on your parade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Baines on your <laughs> Whatever. I wonder what it was back then. He must have had, had one. I mean, Fred McGriff was the crime doc. All right, we'll take a break. We'll do uh, Do We Care I'll have that for you. Next. <laughs> yeah, hustle right up there, probably. And uh, back to wrap the show in just a moment. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. The Atlanta United won the MLS Cup. I don't even know what MLS stands for. Major League Soccer? Yes. With victory over the Portland Timbers. Over Good the weekend, them. yeah, big. De- I think it's a big deal. Atlanta is only the first or second year in the league, and uh, how do you know that? <laughs> I just happen to know it. I mean, I listen to a lot of radio when I'm in the car and stuff. But um, my understanding, I listened to them in the car on like a Sunday. I, I caught the last minute of their game, so it's like I'm thinking, is this a local television broadcast simulcast? Are they just doing it on the radio? I think it was just a radio broadcast, and the announcers were like team announcers lamenting that. You know they've kind of blown it, and the the chance of making the MLS Cup from here is bleak, and and so they must have had a, a pretty good spark and turnaround uh, here in the in the uh, playoffs. My understanding, and I the short version is no, I don't care, but uh, I think it's a really well supported team uh, in a market that can and should support it in a great venue, Mercedes Benz uh, Stadium, and uh, for them winning, it looks like a lot of people are excited about it based on what I saw on social media. So good for them. And uh, Saturday night was the last night of boxing on HBO after 45 years of covering the sport. Saw that. And for people who care about that type of stuff, and I don't really care about boxing as much as I care about, well, any sport being presented the way they want to be. And uh, Jim Lampley did a great sort of send-off for HBO. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that it, you know, boxing is not what it used to be. And, and um, I think that's kind of sad, but uh, cycles come and go. Well, Matt, there's Rich, and then there's pay Beyonce to come to your wedding, Rich. Mm-hmm. Isha Ambani, and the uh, the daughter of the richest man in India, is tying the knot with, uh, of course, Anand Puramal. Yeah. yeah. and uh, He's a real catch. The, they've invited Beyonce and many other celebrities, including uh, Bollywood stars and Hillary Clinton. The guests will be flown in on 100 chartered flights. Yeah, that's, amazing. That's a carbon footprint right there. Yeah. But, I wonder if Beyonce's performing, but I just saw these are expensive. I saw a headline saying how how rich must you be to have Beyonce perform it? Yeah, what do these people do when they're at these weddings? Like, hey, what do you? Oh, what are you in for? Like Beyonce talking to? I know they gave me a million five to come. You're right. 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 Why are you here? What are you in for? (laughs) Uh, Pass the shrimp. (laughs) Uh, Food's got to be pretty good at that thing, I would think. It just would seem uh, weird to me. I mean, I'm not turning down the invite if if. Yeah, if anybody wants to pay to have me come to their right. wedding, I'm there, dude. <laughs> I'll dress like Beyonce. You'll, you'll be at the, the loser table. Right. <laughs> What's the loser table like at this wedding? Sit right next to Hillary. It should be good. What's up, Hills? Bill, Hillary's got to be at the loser. Like, you know. Yeah, Bill's not invited. What's the deal with that? All right, back on the show tomorrow. we got a lot of leftover stuff we didn't get to today. Looking back at that uh, wild Patriots-Dolphins finish, maybe, and uh, more of your thoughts, uh, certainly on the Hall of Fame or anything else you want to get into. We can do it tomorrow in the booth.